0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email? The stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that. All you need to do is text the word show to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word SHOW, S H O W, to 33777. Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show Podcast, Hour One. Uh, how do I do this? Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. <laughs> I'm in studio for the first time, like in the flagship station for the first time since before Christmas. Like, how do I do radio from in here? (laughs) Oh, we must begin with the tale of tales, ladies and gentlemen. I have a story for you. (laughs) Okay. So, here's the thing. Let's, let's, Let's back up. Let's go in the way, way, way back machine. A long time ago, there were 13 English colonies, 13 of them. They stretched down the eastern seaboard of what is now the United States of America. And in those areas, they had these things called governors general. Now, you and I might want to say governor generals, like we would want to say attorney generals. But no, 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 the snooty people would say it's governor's general, like it is attorney's general. So we'll be polite and educated and say they had governor's general. There are countries around the world that still have governor's general. They are the representatives of the crown of the remnant of the British Empire, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, King Charles III's appointed representatives to the countries that are part of the Commonwealth, where he is still head of state. So the governor's general had powers for the king. They served as proxies for the king, and they would take letters from the king they would be charged with issuing commissions and appointments in fact the president of the united states after the revolution we started the country and the presidents of the united states maintained these powers and prerogatives so the presidents of the united states they appoint the cabinet officers the officers of the united states and the judges of the united states but Unlike crown times, because the people reign supreme in the American republic, through our democratic institutions, the people have to sign off on the president's choices via the Senate. So it's actually the states themselves, not the people directly, because it's the Senate that approves, not the House of Representatives. And the Senate is represented. The people who serve in the Senate, the senators, they represent the states, not the people. In fact, up until the 1900s, the Senate, the members of the Senate were appointed by the governors of the states confirmed by the senates of the several states. So way back yonder, your state, let's say Texas, your governor would appoint senators and your state senate would confirm those senators and they would go to Washington for six years. And as the governor changed and the state Senate composition changed, maybe the senator changed. And then in the 1900s, they became directly elected. By then, a number of states had already moved to direct election. This was the progressive movement of the early 1900s, led by what was La Follette of Wisconsin, urged the states to do this. Now, here's the catch. You have the United States now, not Great Britain, but you still have those 13 colonies. Those 13 colonies became independent nations. Yes, independent nations. And they decided that they were stronger together than separate, that their global combined economy, economic output, military and all could make each other safer from foreign invasion and aggression again from Great Britain or from Spain or others. And so they formed articles of confederation that were very weak, a very weak national government where everybody had to agree to stuff. There was very limited power, no power of taxation, things like that. It became very destabilized. The English were playing the system, destabilized it. They wanted their land and colonies back. And so they came together to strengthen the Articles of Confederation, and out of that came the United States Constitution. And one of the things that those independent sovereign nations agreed to do was they would give up some of their sovereignty to Washington, D.C., But otherwise, they remained completely sovereign nations. Thus, we arrive at these United States of America, where each state is a semi-sovereign nation with its own constitution under a federal constitution that governs the relations between the states and between the federal government of Washington, D.C. and the states. But each state has a unique one. The state of Louisiana comes from the French system. So, for example, you can go to law school in the state of Florida and cross over into Georgia and pick up pretty quick how it works. You can become a member of the bar and you can become a lawyer in Georgia. Louisiana has a unique system. It's not based on English common law. It's based on the French civil law. It's harder to change the civil law in Louisiana than it is to change the state constitution. Yes, much more difficult to change the civil law in the state of Louisiana. The civil law is very different from a lot of other states. In in, uh, in Louisiana, for example, there's a concept of usufruct you don't have in other states that deals with separating the use of land from the actual ownership of land. Odd concepts from France. There are sometimes similarities in English common law and sometimes not. But Louisiana gets to do that because Louisiana is a semi-sovereign state. The state of New Jersey, one of the original 13 colonies, has a constitution that treats the governor of the state like being the governor general. The governor of the state of New Jersey is arguably one of the most powerful governors in the nation. The governor of New Jersey gets to appoint everybody. He appoints all the cabinet officers, he appoints all the judges, he appoints constables, he appoints sheriffs. He appoints everybody in New Jersey subject to confirmation by the state legislature. Now, I say all of that because you have to understand the history lesson. We had 13 sovereign nations that gave up some sovereignty and kept other sovereignty to form this more perfect union called the United States of America. So in 2020, There were loud voices, Trump supporters, who were demanding, for example, the governor of the state of Georgia do things about the election because in other states, governors appoint the secretaries of state and can control those secretaries of state and fire those secretaries of state. But in Georgia, a semi-sovereign nation with its own constitution, the governor of the state of Georgia at the time and now, Brian Kemp, is prohibited by the constitution from interfering in elections. This comes from the history of the state of Georgia and changes made to the Georgia Constitution over time because of the unique history of the semi-sovereign nation known as Georgia. So the governor in Georgia, for example, is restricted from taking all sorts of actions against other officers of the state because way back when, the governor of Georgia was a pretty powerful dude who bullied positions and so the state rebelled against the governor of Georgia, amended and rewrote the constitution and restrained the governor's power. So the governor of the state of Georgia now has extremely broad economic powers and extremely limited constitutional powers to deal with constitutional offices. It's different in the state of Florida, where the governor makes appointments of, of, for example, judges directly and executive officers in the state. It's different in New Jersey. It's different in Louisiana. I say all of this to say the latest outrage du jour, fancy way of saying the outrage of the day, is from Breitbart.com that the governor of Georgia has flown off to Davos to hobnob with the World Economic Forum and has avoided appointing an investigator to prosecute Fawny Willis, the district attorney of Fulton County, who's investigating Donald Trump, that he's abdicated his responsibilities by avoiding launching a criminal investigation of Fawney Willis. It never dawned on the idiots who wrote the piece that the governor of Georgia is not the governor of New Jersey, nor the governor of New York, nor the governor of Florida, nor the governor of California, where in those states, the governor has the power to do those things. In Georgia, The governor of Georgia under the Constitution of Georgia has no power to do that. And for those of you yelling at me right now saying, but he could do something, you, like the Marxists marching in the streets chanting death to Israel, are being governed by your emotions, not your brain. You want someone to do something for you, whether it's constitutional or not, because you don't care about the Constitution, you care about your emotions. And the governor of Georgia does not care about your emotions. As you yourselves have long said to progressives, if your feelings, well, that could be the governor of Georgia's response to you because he has no power to do anything. But there is, of course, a punchline to this. The governor of Georgia can interfere in an election. He can't direct the Secretary of State to do anything. He's bound by law to certify the results if the Secretary of State says so. It is a shall demand of the Constitution, not a may demand. He must do that thing, that certification of the election. He has no wiggle room under the state law, not that any of you care. But he also, unlike Breitbart.com's outrage of the day, has no power to control or compel anyone. The attorney general is a separate office, and the laws of Georgia don't even give the attorney general the power to investigate the district attorney. There's a prosecuting attorney's counsel, and they could do something but only under certain circumstances which do not fit in this case. Either the law matters or the law does not matter. You either care about the Constitution or you don't. You can scream that, well, nobody else is following the law. Why shall he? That makes him better than those people and better than you if you think he should break the law. You know, there are methods and procedures in this country, in each of the states. There are these things called constitutions. We're either bound to them or we are not. And just because you think the left isn't adhering to the constitution gives you no leverage to make the moral case that the right itself should ignore the law. If you keep ignoring the law on both sides, at some point there is no law and it's winner take all. And, well, they will one day come for you. You should actually appreciate the fact that the governors of the states tend to be bound by their constitutions and restrain their powers. But there is the punchline. There is the punchline in this entire story. In 2022, because the governor of the state of Georgia in 2020 was restricted by the laws of the state and could not do the things that Donald Trump and his supporters claimed he could do about overturning the 2020 election, Donald Trump went to war with Brian Gimp, the governor of the state of Georgia. He found a candidate in the form of former Senator David Perdue to run against Brian Kemp in Georgia, to challenge him. He fundraised for David Perdue. He did rallies for David Perdue. He found candidates to run against every single Republican incumbent in the state of Georgia, to run against the secretary of state, to run against the attorney general, to run against the insurance commissioner in the state of Georgia, to run against all these offices in the state of Georgia. And they all lost. All of Trump's candidates lost, including the candidate he found to run against Brian Kemp. They all lost. And now he wants to demand that somebody do something to force Brian Kemp to stand up and take on Fawny Willis. Brian Kemp doesn't have the power to do any of the things that he wants, just like in 2020. There's a Constitution. He's bound by it. But let's say he weren't bound by it. If he could do something, if he could take on Fawny Willis, if he could shut down her investigation Does this not fall into the category of screw around and find out? You took on Brian Kemp and lost. Why should he lift a finger to help you? Do the rules only apply to you? Do the favors and transactions only go one way? Why should he lift a finger to do anything for the man who tried to defeat him? If it's all transactional, Donald Trump's check bounced in Georgia. But that's not it at all. He's bound by the Constitution. And like so many other governors, when you want them to do things, you should at least think, hmm, I'm glad we have somebody with some integrity who actually binds himself to the Constitution like it's supposed to be done. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So if you're a regular listener, you know I I like to sit on my front porch on Sunday nights and watch football games and... When football ends, cry a little before watching hockey games, never basketball. I'm just not a basketball fan. Uh, We'll eventually make our way to the spring and baseball and bore ourselves with it. You know, actually, I got to say the pitch clock has sped the games up there. They're worth watching. But, I mean, hockey lasts until, like, October anyway and then starts all over again. Hockey lasts so ridiculously long. Then football comes back. There is that sad window of time where there are no sports and unless there's the Special Olympics, and they're always fun to watch, the, especially the winter, winter Special Olympics where you have, like, the one-legged skier and they put an obstacle in the way and you, you're impressed with this guy trying to get over the hump and, and down the hill. It's It's always impressive. But I'm not an expert on sports. I am, however, mesmerized by this whole Alabama transfer portal thing. So back in 2018, the NCAA uh, uh, formalized this idea of the transfer portal that a student that wants to switch, a student athlete who wants to go to a different school can enter this transfer portal. And then coaches from other schools can lure them and recruit them. And it has to some degree broken the game. Between that and the name and likeness, a a kid who gets a little bit of fame at a small school, he's getting traction, he jumps into the transfer portal, goes to a bigger school, makes a lot of money. it's, It's kind of, I mean, a lot of coaches are like, this is ruining the game. Well, you made a lot of money off these athletes for your uh, for your teams, treating them essentially as slave labor to fund your schools. And they got really nothing in return until they ultimately got into the NFL and could cash in maybe if they didn't get hurt. And a lot of students are taking advantage of it. Alabama, like 13 of 17 of their top players. Now that Nick Saban has announced he's retiring, they've jumped into the transfer portal. Alabama. You're going to find out very quickly what it's like to just be another college football school now that Saban is gone, unless something works for the new guy. But they, they interviewed one of the dads and one of the players. He's like, everybody's gone. All, all the coaching staff that kept the kid there, they're gone, so why not go explore options? And, man, this is going to completely transform. This is why all the coaches are starting to complain about what's happening to college football. And One of the reasons Saban left, the NCAA has been one of the worst stewards of something good in a very long time. They should be burned down and salt salted on the ground and let the SEC take over and manage it from here on out. Now, you want somebody to manage and be a good steward of your computer systems. That's what Vision Computers can do for you. 404 Compute, that's their number column. They can build your laptops and desktops for the PC, and then they can be your good stewards to make sure your company stays online, your employees know what they're doing, your kids don't come asking you how to do something on the computer, pulling your hair out. Have you turned it off and kicked it and blown air into it and prayed over it and rebooted it? You don't have to do anything like that with Vision Computers. They take care of you and your computers, your staff. They give you a number you can call. Faster than Google search, you can get an answer of what to do. They even help you with your printer and they even help you with your email. 404Compute or VisionComputers.com. If you call 404Compute, any one of you in the United States of America, you can call Vision and do business with them. They don't care if you're in Washington State or the southern tip of Key West in Florida. They can take care of you. 404Compute, tell them I sent you. You get an even better deal. 404Compute or VisionComputers.com. Tell them I sent you. Get an even better deal, and they will take care of you. Vision Computers. No purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply See website for details Uh, Y'all, a robot vending machine at my office just stole my money It charged me a dollar for Dr. Pepper And it went up, and it acted like it was grabbing the drink And it never did, and then it dispensed nothing And to add insult to injury, it then did it again And again dispensed nothing and charged me twice i don't like robots however this is this is the trend have you um have you seen this in california they're starting to pay workers in fast food restaurants 20 dollars an hour and so what are they doing well they're firing delivery drivers at at papa johns and dominos and even the remaining pizza huts They're putting in kiosks at the other fast food restaurants, and now they're trotting out robotic burger flippers because they have to lay people off. And they have to lay people off because they don't have enough money. They got to make some money. Government-mandated wages are always a bad idea. Let the supply and demand of the frequent marketplace work. And you know what's going to happen, actually, is you're going to have people who quit other jobs and go work in the fast food industry, which will or at least attempt to get jobs in the fast food industry because they may make a a higher wage. I was actually – on an email chain the other day, we were talking about this phenomenon, and I personally like the the kiosks. I know they're a pain in the butt, and at McDonald's, they're they're not super intuitive. But like, I want a custom order. I want extra ketchup, and I don't want a pickle on on my burger, and I don't want a cheeseburger. I want a hamburger, and so I can put it all in there and tell them exactly what I want. And inevitably, that order comes out better than if there's somebody standing at the at the cash register putting my order in who seems to inevitably screw it up. I'm fine with the chaos. That's why I love the mobile apps. Like, for example, at Chick-fil-A, the glorious, glorious, God bless them, the Jesus Chicken Sandwich mobile app, I can go in there and I can load up my grilled chicken sandwich with bacon. You get the club bacon sandwich, and you max out the bacon. And you have to max it out so that they notice, because if you just add an extra slice of bacon, half the time they don't pay attention that you want extra bacon. But if you max out the bacon, you get this chicken sandwich piled high with crispy bacon. It's glorious. I love the apps. You're more often to get it right. You know. So here's the baffling thing. For those of you not blessed to live near a Chick-fil-A, It's actually a curse because we have one across the street from our house. Do you know how much my children need a Chick-fil-A now? Good Lord. I mean, it's like a religious tithe. But they have a mobile line and they have a regular line. And if you've got the mobile app, you go through the mobile line, and I don't understand why people haven't gotten a clue yet. You go through the, you you put your order in on the app, you go to the store, you go through the drive-thru in the mobile line and you scan a QR code and you just go to the front of the line. Otherwise, you got to wait for the, for the kid. It's always a good kid. They're entering your order. It takes forever. Everybody else is backed up. I've already got my order. I'm through the line. The problem is where the backups happen is when you turn the corner to try to get your food and, and they're waiting on the milkshake machine and the chicken nuggets. But nonetheless, it's, it's glorious to do these mobile apps for fast food. It's one of the great things. The resurrection of the QR code. Nobody was using QR codes before COVID. And afterwards, you can't escape them. And they've actually become useful now, and it's fantastic. You know, if you have like an iPhone and you just hold it a QR code, it detects it automatically now. It's fantastic. But these robot vending machines are still garbage. The robot vending machines are garbage. Now, that's all we need to say about that. We need to move on to the reality of small numbers. This isn't a math class. This is just reality. The New York Times has this story. When Republicans assumed control of the House early last year after winning a narrow majority in the 2020 midterms, Representative Earl Blumenauer, a veteran Democrat from Oregon, made a bold prediction. His party had a slight chance of reclaiming power before the next election through sheer attrition. Republicans commanded just a thin edge over Democrats 222 to 213, Mr. Blumenauer reasoned. the typical turnover in recent years suggested that could shrink further. Plus, a certain new Republican representative from New York by the name of George Santos did not seem likely to survive a cascade of ethics and criminal charges. Mr. Blumenauer's prognostication seemed more like liberal wish-casting, given the dominoes that needed to fall. But day by day, thanks to a combination of coincidence, scandal, health issues, and political turmoil, the majority for the GOP keeps getting smaller. This week, with lawmakers absent for medical reasons— And the recent not-so-voluntary departures of the ousted former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the expelled Mr. Santos, the best GOP attendance that Speaker Johnson can muster is the bare minimum, 218 votes. That's before factoring in the impact of rough weather across the country. Representative Bill Johnson of Ohio is resigning on Sunday to take a job as university president, leaving the number to 217 if Representative Harold Rogers of Kentucky, the 86-year-old dean of the House, is unable to quickly return from recuperating from a car accident. Representative Steve Scalise, the number two Republican, is out until next month undergoing cancer treatment. As a result, Republicans could soon be able to afford just a single defection on any matter, If Democrats remain united and have no absences of their own, it's true. So now here's the problem. I hear this from callers all the time. Why are the Democrats so much more effective than Republicans? And there are several reasons, one of which is the Democrats are more ideologically homogenous than the Republicans you got moderate, liberal, conservative Republicans all fighting. They oftentimes will walk in step, but many times won't. Conservatives are prone to rebel if they don't get their way. Right now, the Republican Party is led by Donald Trump, and it's Trump's party, not the ideology of the party that matters. So if Donald Trump wants something or not, the Republicans tend to give him what he wants, and the Democrats are more ideologically homogenous. Donald Trump isn't really ideologically homogenous about much. He can change day-to-day, change his mind. There's no ideological governance there. It's about Trump. The Democrats are all moving towards a Marxist utopia. But there is something else. Democrats will nibble away and keep fighting. Democrats did not get Obamacare overnight. They started with Ted Kennedy in the 1980s, beginning to nibble away at the American health care system, regulating more, driving up costs more, making it more burdensome, making it more difficult. They, they stacked the deck against the private health care system and ultimately were able to build the case. Now look at the GOP. The GOP was not offered a good spending deal. It's not a good deal. But they were offered clawbacks of COVID spending and they were offered clawbacks of the money sent to the IRS to persecute the middle class. And they'd rather reject that and get a worse deal. No incrementalism. The GOP is impatient. They always want more. Or the border deal. It's not a good deal either. But it puts some points on the board. The question is, will the GOP take a deal that goes a little bit in their direction, or will they reject it all? The Democrats will always take the incremental approach, and the Republicans, particularly the conservatives, so rarely will. Those are your reasons. You may not like them. You may not like me telling you the truth, but those are it. So, yeah, I agree the Republicans should fight for more. I don't dispute that. But you don't have the numbers to get much of anything. The Democrats have a stronger hold on the Senate, and, and even that's tenuous for them. But the Republicans are willing to go along and strike compromises in the Senate with the Senate Democrats, and you got a lot of House Republicans who are just intransigent, transition saying, no, if I can't get exactly what I want, nothing. So you'll grow government. You will grow Washington, D.C. You, you won't claw back the money from the IRS. You'll try to obstruct and get nothing done, and the moderates on the Republican side will cut a deal with the Democrats. Oh, I've heard from some of the moderates. I, I you know, I've got a lot of friends in the House Freedom Caucus and I, I've kept some friends who are moderates in the House and, and man, they all don't like each other. I'm like the guy in the middle. Like how this is like me dealing with my sisters when I was a kid and they would squabble with each other and had to be the peacemaker. You got you got these conservatives and these moderate Republicans, they hate each other's guts. They've they've come to terms with each other until Matt Gates decided he wanted to be the turn of the punch bowl and blow up everything. Now there's no trust on either side. You have a deal to claw back money from the IRS. You have a deal to claw back money from the unspent COVID funds. That's probably the best deal you're going to get. So are you going to take it or not? You have a one-seat majority in the House essentially at this point. If you blow it up, the moderates will side with the Democrats, and you'll get an even worse deal. Look at immigration. It's a terrible thing. I appreciate my buddy Chip Roy and others who are fighting really hard for tougher immigration, uh, closing the border, no illegals allowed. Um, The Democrats have taken incremental approaches time and time again towards opening the border further, allowing in more illegal immigrants. You're not going to get a sealed border overnight. Keep fighting. Always fight. Advance. But you got to know— how far you can advance and oftentimes the GOP tries to advance more than they can and they wind up with a worse deal than what they already have it's a bad deal but you'll get a worse deal so do you incrementally advance like the Democrats are willing to do or do you say all or nothing you'll get nothing if that's the case these are the realities that the GOP has to deal with right now and you know there is this this Alignment on ideology and power and leadership and Democrats are more homogenous. The Republicans, uh, often the conservatives get frustrated because they're like, I thought we're their conservative party. Well, yeah, except in New England, they're pretty liberal. I mean, Trump's flirting with Elise Stefanik to be his vice president. She is to the left of Nikki Haley on every issue. She is. It's documented. It's on record. She's got the voting history to prove it. So many of you are opposed to Nikki Haley being the vice president because you think she's a liberal Swiss. Elise Stefanik is more liberal than Nikki Haley, but she bends her knee to Donald Trump, so many people will like her. These are the realities that the Republicans have to deal with. Now, they're going to try to do the continuing resolution today— Their snow is coming to Washington, DC, so the House and Senate are scrambling to get out of town as quick as they can. So the Senate is going to take a stab at passing a continuing resolution, and then they hope that the House of Representatives will do the same thing this afternoon. We'll see whether or not they can continue the government until March, these incremental approaches to keeping the government open. Meanwhile, we got $34 trillion in debt. And nobody really seems to care except the authentic conservatives in the House of Representatives. Chip Roy, Jody Arrington from Texas, a number of others. It does kind of seem quite hopeless right now. I understand your frustration. I'm frustrated too. But part of this is Republican voters nominated a bunch of idiots in 2022 and they lost the general election. Part of this is on the, on the Republican voters who voted for crap candidates in, in the primary who lost the general election. Joe Kent and others, Bo Hines and others, John Gibbs and others. You got to pick better candidates who can win in these districts if you want to put points on the board Republican voters in 2022 decided to go with candidates who tickled their ear but couldn't win, and and, and now you're complaining the GOP can't get things done. You know, the worst, most damning part of the polling right now is those who say still they'd rather vote for someone who agrees with them than someone who can win, and then they complain that the Republicans aren't doing anything. Well, yeah, because you poked a bunch of people who agreed with you but couldn't win. So you can't put points on the board when you're a loser. you got to decide, do we want to win and fight or lose and complain, and too many people want to lose and complain. Americans for Prosperity wants to win. They want to put points on the board. They want to find good candidates. They want to find them, pair them with counties and precincts and and communities of interest where they can win because they're aligned with their counties, but they're conservative. So they're committed to cutting government. They're committed to fighting for deregulation. They're committed to putting points on the board for limited government, free markets, and free people. You can help them do this. Find candidates who are good fits for district, who are more conservative than the candidates who are already there, who can win. You can help them. You can can do this. You can learn to discern the good candidates from the bad, the viable from the not viable, and then fight for the policies that matter by going to AmericansForProsperity.org/eric. AmericansForProsperity.org/eric. Fight with Americans for Prosperity. Find good candidates who support limited government, who support free markets, who support deregulation, who support tax reform that gives the American middle class tax cuts. Fight for school choice. And find candidates who support school choice. That's what Americans for World Prosperity does. They're a do tank, not a think tank. They go into the states and they do the business of the conservative movement, putting points on the board. And we need some points on the board. You can be a part of it. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with AFP. Learn to be the most effective conservative warrior you can be. Hello and welcome. It's Eric Erickson, the phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, this hour is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Hey, are you young and you're in the lending business and you want to get better at it? You're in like the Georgia area. uh, Maybe reach out to First Liberty and see if you can join on with them. They're, They're looking for new young people, want to be the next generation of lenders and Uh, a faith-forward company, um, might be a good fit for you. And also, if you're in the business of buying buildings, building buildings, buying franchises for your business, see if they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Get all their contact info there. FirstLibertyGA.com. They can help any business nationwide become a bigger business. FirstLibertyGA.com. Okay, I, I got a comment on Donald Trump's argument in court. He went off on Truth Social again today that the President of the United States has or should have absolute immunity. A president of the United States must have full immunity without which it would be impossible for him or her to properly function. Any mistake, even if well-intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. Any even events that cross the line must fall under total immunity or it will be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. There must be certainty those of you—and then he ends, all presidents must have complete and total presidential immunity or the authority and decisiveness of a president of the United States will be stripped and gone forever. So he would be okay with Joe Biden ordering his assassination, correct? I mean, that was the argument in court um, that—I mean, this was the hypothetical that played out in court that if if a president orders the assassination of his political opponents— Would that be that would that would be okay under this argument? And Trump's lawyer said, yes, yes, that there's there's an impeachment process. And then one of the judges responded. But then he could just keep killing the members of Congress on their way to vote if they weren't going to vote for him. And the lawyer really didn't have an answer for that. He hemmed and hawed. Um, but that's the position here. Donald Trump is is legit arguing that it should be okay for Joe Biden to assassinate Donald Trump. That That's Donald Trump's argument. It's not my argument. I think it's a terrible argument. Uh, but that's Donald Trump's argument today on social media. That's the argument he made in court, that the president of the United States should— have the immunity from prosecution to assassinate his political opponents, and the only way to be prosecuted is for Congress to impeach him and convict him, and then a prosecutor can prosecute him. Well, what if the Democrats say to Joe Biden, I nah, it was worth it. This is where, I mean, <laughs> this is the logical outcome of Donald Trump's argument. Does he really want to make the argument that Joe Biden should have the immunity from prosecution to be able to assassinate Donald Trump. That is Donald Trump's argument. That is what he argued in court. He, he, no names attached, it was just president being able to assassinate his political opponent and Trump's lawyer says yes, he should be able to do that and the only bar would be impeachment. I don't think they thought this through. I just, i i i it, it's this emotional, he's trying to get out of these prosecutions and I get it. Uh, But um, I don't think he really thought it through because he really legitimately is arguing that Biden should have the power to take him out. And I don't think he wants to be taken out by Joe Biden because you know and I know the Democrats would absolutely not impeach Joe Biden for that. There's no way they would convict him for doing that. They hate Donald Trump so much, which would then mean that Joe Biden can never be prosecuted. Because the Democrats didn't impeach him or convict him in an impeachment. That, y'all, sometimes you need to think through the arguments you're making before you say them out loud. And he not only didn't think about it first, but he wrote it in all caps on Truth Social, buttressing his lawyer's argument in court. Probably not the winning argument. Probably not. 18 plus.